You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. I am Drew here, again as usual with Connor and Josh. Uh, guys, how we had a little bit of soccer this week, and how was watching soccer for like the first time in forever for you guys? Amazing. <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe it. Uh, felt real good to have competitive sports that wasn't UFC. Uh, so, yeah, I was happy to have it back, especially with Alfonso Davies doing so well. Yeah, it was it was nice to have some semblance of sports back you know even with the uh the weirdness that was no fans i also fortunately got to play a little bit of soccer on saturday in the morning i was playing big pickup games before the uh pandemic started to shut everything down so some of us came back and played some very very small-sided game but that was the most normal saturday i've had in months now so it was it was very nice to have sports back on this weekend yeah i feel it was cool waking up early having some coffee and watching european soccer like when epl was still going so it was kind of cool i agree it was fun to have some sense of normalcy but josh i I hate to break it to you but shalka played to put it nicely they played like trash dude i don't know what that was but dortmund took advantage of it i know that they were bad. They were so, <laughs> so bad. Towards the end, I just flipped it over to the the Leipzig game just to check on Tyler Adams and. That was a much better game. That was fun to watch. Oh yeah, and I, I turned on right as they, they uh, I can't remember who they were playing. It might have been was it Freiburg or whoever it was. I can't, I can't remember. But the other team, not Leipzig, they they scored a, uh, a, a what would have been a game winner there at the end, and of course. Good old VAR had to step in, so it's like it's like we didn't even skip a beat. He was offside. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agreed with it, but it was just funny to see a goal and then bam, VAR comes back in, and it was the right call, but you know it was it's still very funny. It was so close to being a, a very frenetic finish. Yeah, it was just good to have it back, even though it was pretty weird without there being crowds and there being no other noise and being able to hear everything. Found it a little annoying in the Dortmund Schalke game because of the echo how much it echoed with i guess the wall playing a factor but i th- i enjoyed it i liked hearing what everybody had to say it's probably more beneficial that it's in german and that us english people can't understand what they're actually saying but i liked it i hope they do it in north america what do you guys think of it because i know it's sort of controversial when it comes to some people's opinions of should they have that or should they f- play fake audio in the background or do something else like just not have any audio from it period and just the broadcasters it's a bit of a controversial opinion i don't really think it matters much uh, at least to me personally I, i it didn't bother me that there weren't any fans i mean to be honest uh i wasn't all that invested in the games regardless because you know we we do have a a team we might root for some players we root for but um, clearly, I didn't really have much rooting to do with Schalke getting destroyed. And then, you know, Gio Reyna, of course, it would have been great to see him play. But like every other American player that's not 
on this side of the ocean. Uh, they, they just get hurt. So he didn't even get to play. So for me personally, the difference between a crowd or not a crowd wasn't going to make a difference. Maybe down the road, maybe over the next couple weeks, uh, as there are maybe some more interesting games to watch or some more storylines that I'm interested in, I might form an opinion on that. But for now, I don't really think it matters. I don't really care. I think it might be a little gimmicky if they use their own crowd noise. Uh, but I, I would I would wait to hold judgment on that until I hear it personally. Uh, what do you think about that, Drew? Yeah, I think it's hard to have such a passionate take for either way. I mean, I think everyone knows when you're watching these games that we're in pretty unnormal circumstances, and everyone's just happy to have sports back in general. So I don't think people are complaining too much about not having any fan noise. But I want to see what it's like to watch a game with pumped-in fan noise. Um, Like you said, it could sound pretty gimmicky and kind of tacky, but before I have a passionate take on it. I want to hear it. I want some league, whether it be Bundesliga or um, EPL in June. I want a league to try it. Um, But I didn't mind the quiet stadiums as much as I thought I would, like Connor said, um, with him speaking in German. It was kind of just like a bunch of noise from the field. But I think it would be cool for MLS or at least EPL where it's English that we all can understand to be able to understand the players. Um, but I, I didn't mind the empty stadiums, but I want a league to try it out, to try pumping in crowd noise for sure. Yeah, it's all fun and games until somebody swears on air and <laughs> parents have to explain to their kids stuff like that, which I think there are issues there, but I don't know. My biggest issue with having, I guess, fake crowds in the background is how do you have them react to goals? Are you just going to have the same sound for the entire match? And if you do that, isn't that going to kill the vibe when teams score? And it's just, it seems so complicated. I suppose the audio guys could theoretically make it work, but I think it'd be very fake and would probably take away from the broadcast as a whole. I like the simplicity of the Bundesliga games over the weekend. I think that... I mean, theoretically, I obviously, I don't really understand or know the audio side of things, and I won't really claim to, but I, I think that if um, they could take audio snippets of, like, for example, Dortmund Schalke, if you just take an audio snippet of Dortmund scoring a goal at home, what that would sound like, and you put it in place of that, what it would sound like when the opposing team scores as well. You could add that in. I, I think if they cut it up in a way, and if they if they balanced it well with what was happening on the field to make it sound like a normal game to the viewer sitting at home on the couch. And theoretically, I think it could work again. You know, I, I don't, I don't think you should really say anything about it until we hear it. I think if there's a broadcast partner that can do a good job with it, then it, it might be worth it for the fans at home. Cause it sounded like to me that the biggest thing the players talked about from this weekend was the lack of fans and how, much it affects the actual play on the field. Um, and I've seen it in a couple spots where players have said, you know, fans affect the game in ways that they don't even know. So it seemed to me that the, the not having fans, you know, it doesn't have an effect on the players. So at the least, maybe it can make the viewer feel like it's still a regular sporting event, although the the play on the field won't reflect that. So that's another 
side of it as well. Yeah, it's definitely possible to do it. Uh, I've just thinking about it now, I can think of the way that they would do it in terms of you could use the mixers and ramp audio up and the guys in those uh, head audio spots are good enough to do that. I could, hell, I could probably do it. Um, just probably not as good as it would possibly be with some of these people. It just, I worry about how natural it feels and whether or not it would take away from the broadcast quality because they are already focused on how audio is going to sound in terms of the broadcasters, uh, throwing in the fact that they got to worry about when they're going to ramp uh, the crowds up and pay attention to the actual game. I think it gets very complicated, but it is doable, and I'd be very interested to see how good these guys are and whether they can do it. Uh, I don't know. It's just really interesting to watch broadcasters adapt and deal with what's going on. Like I saw a Twitter video of one of the play-by-play guys calling the game from in his house. And he had a picture from behind him with the game on a computer and him talking over it. So it's just pretty, it's in, It's just cool to see, in my opinion. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing that soccer kind of has a chance to explore. And Connor, just really quick, like you mentioned, um, players swearing on the field. I remember watching the Atlanta Falcons play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football and hearing Matt Ryan yell, get bleeping set to a wide receiver and it was like the coolest thing when I imagine a lot of kids and parents were in pretty uncomfortable situations um, so that is something interesting that soccer's having to transition into and in addition to the no fans and we'll talk about this really quick before we get into EMLS um, this was the first weekend we got to see the five substitution rule um, that FIFA made in response to the pandemic letting teams make five five substitutions. Um, It's going to be in place for this season and the 20-2021 season. Um, I know we haven't gotten to see it too much. We only got to see it for this one weekend. But what are your guys' initial thoughts in five substitutions? I I personally didn't uh, really notice it. I'll have to go back and look. Uh, Like I said, I didn't really catch a lot in the morning uh, because I just wasn't in front of a TV. but I, I, like I said, I don't recall anyone using all five subs. To me, you know, it, it felt like the normal amount. So at least on my end, it didn't really take away from the game. I know there have been some coaches, uh, particularly I think Bob Bradley, um, in an interview with The Athletic mentioned that he was worried about the flow of the game. And uh, to me, it didn't seem unaffected. Uh, Connor, did you notice anything new about the rule and and its effects for you or on the game or or what? I didn't really notice anything. Uh, I think the rule that you have only three opportunities to actually make the subs helped uh, keep the flow of the game. I think that was really beneficial to not just wasting time at the end of matches. Uh, I thought it's, it just worked really well in my opinion. Uh, I don't, I don't see a reason why it couldn't continue past 2020, 2021 just opens up more opportunities for players. And I just personally liked it. Drew, I may have a different perspective. Uh, What did you think about the fact that you did only get three subs? Do you think that's positive or do you think it should be you get five different opportunities? 
Um, you know, like kind of, I guess I don't know. I think, I think Josh is right. I don't think anyone used all five subs, but I imagine if you were to make five different individual substitutions, I'm not sure that's going to affect the flow of the game rather than having these three chances to. So, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, where as far as the flow of the game is concerned, it's as if you're only making three substitutions, but I think it's unnecessarily limiting the managers, and it's not improving the flow of the game that much. Um, So I don't really see a positive or a negative. It's just kind of there. Um, Well, I guess the negative would be that it's just forcing managers' hand, which maybe that makes it more interesting tactically, but I don't think having two less opportunities is increasing the flow of the game uh, any more than if you were to let them make five individual substitutions. Yeah, I think it also improves the quality of the game. You know, you have fit players for longer uh, periods of time as opposed to having only three changes. You can now bring five of your guys out and add a lot more energy to your lineup. And I think that's all very beneficial to MLS, or I guess MLS period because of the fact that the stars do tend to be a little bit older and it's beneficial to European because you get to see more talented players. Um, I just think it's really positive for the quality of play and even if it does potentially limit the fact that these guys could use it as time waster or could use it in tactical ways where it may be negative in terms of watching these guys play. So I just want to say, I think Connor, you made a really important distinction. Uh, it was a, a few moments ago, but you said that they can substitute five players, but it's still only done at three separate times. So from a flow standpoint, nothing changes. There's still just the three max pauses, which I think is great. Um, and you're right. There would be so many more fit players, but I think another really cool dynamic to five substitutes in a game is the tactics of it, right? Because there are only 10 outfield players for either side. You know, the chances of subbing a goalkeeper are slim. That would be because of a red card or an injury, which neither are very frequent. So if you're assuming that all five substitutes are going to be outfield players, then that's half the team on the field for either team. So I think not only would you see an increase in in quality of play, like you are saying, Connor, more players would be fresh for longer, and more players with opportunities, but you also see really, I think, more interesting tactical battles between managers as they try to balance out, wow, my opponent has now switched out half their team. They're running an entirely different formation. They've, they've totally changed what they're doing in the game at this point. Like I have to adapt to that, or I have to anticipate that the opposing manager is going to change out half his team or her team. So I think that that's another really interesting aspect to it that... Connor, you also made this point. This could continue on after 2021, which would be really interesting because this this could potentially shape soccer around the world going forward, just based on the tactical stuff alone in game. So, I think that's that's another really important factor in the possibility of this rule staying past 2021. Yeah, do you guys think, really quickly before we get into EMLS, do you guys think this rule has any chance to go past the 2021 season? I think it does. I think there's a real possibility for these teams and managers and players to take to the rule really well. I think they could 
understand just how important and how influential it could be to changing the game of soccer and making it more fast-paced because in the past that has been an issue you're when you have games that end nil nil or one nothing adding two more strikers for two defenders late in the match could add a lot of energy when you wouldn't have been able to do that because you had to take off two guys due to muscle cramps or rolling an ankle uh, i think it's got real legs i think fifa it's a smart time to trial it and see if it does work and i real i think it there's a very good chance that it does they do keep it yeah i couldn't agree with with you more connor i think that this is the time to try it. This is the time to really experiment with whatever weirdness is going on with schedules and, and everything to really test out if that's something that can stay. Uh, I also envision it staying past 2021. I think soccer is due for a shakeup. Um, when you look at tactically, you know, I'll, I'll bring it back to that again. If you look at tactically over the last however many generations of coaches, players, blah, 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 the, the most recent craze has been Gegen pressing, and before that it was possession football, specifically Juego de Posición, which is Pep Guardiola's thing. Um, so I think soccer's kind of due for a big shakeup. Gegen pressing has been really big the last few years. Pressing in general has really risen. So that extra wrinkle of being able to, to again, swap out half your team. And, you know, Connor, you mentioned two strikers for two defenders, but conversely, you know, Jose Mourinho, he could just go crazy and sub on another five defenders. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the dude tried to do 10 defenders on the field at once. It w- I wouldn't put it past Mourinho. So I think it could it could really create a really next-level interesting shift in, in the game overall that we just haven't seen in a while. So that, I think, is also potentially... Because if, at the end of the day, all sports, they have to continue to evolve. They have to keep growing. They have to change. It's just natural... You have to keep people's attention. If it stays the same for too long, then obviously people get bored, especially in uh, today's world where everything is so instant. So I think that potentially if the five sub rule stays, it could it could really change the game. Yeah, I'm on board with both you guys. I think it has a shot for sure to uh, stay in effect. And I think, I think Connor mentioned it, that it may need some trial in other leagues before it goes into the Bundesliga as the EPLs permanently. But I think it's a really interesting rule, and like you guys both said, now is the time to try it. And I think it has a shot for sure. It's kind of, it's a little weird making such a drastic rule change in the world's game, but I think it does have a shot for sure. But in addition to the weekend Bundesliga returning, we had the last EMLS uh, week. We had a champion, which I think... Josh, you got the champion right, didn't you? You picked Atlanta. Yeah, I think, I guess I was the only one that ended up picking Atlanta to win. And boy, based on that final score, did it did it turn out to be the right result? <laughs> Connor, who did you pick to win it all? Uh, I went SKC. I had Atlanta SKC in the final. So you got the final right. Connor, who did you, I mean, Josh, who did you have coming out of the I West? had LAFC, and I was... I was really close to getting that pick, honestly. So for those that didn't get to see it, uh, in the first leg, Adama Diamande played Juan Cousin, and it was tied 1-1 at the half. Uh, Diamande ended up getting a second, so it was 2-1 after the players. EMLS guys, Remy Martin, Alexander, they played. Um, 
and Alexander just kind of took over and won 2 nothing. So SKC advanced just by one goal. On the other side of things, uh, NYCFC and Atlanta played. Um, Drew, if I'm not mistaken, you were the only one who didn't pick Atlanta to win. I know, uh, you're right. I picked NYCFC, which I went back to the Atlanta-Toronto matchup, which I think I think we talked about it last week. Toronto was really good. I think it was a shame that Atlanta and Toronto played in the first round, but I underestimated Toronto's ability, so I thought Franco was overhyped, but the hype was justified, but Toronto was just that good. So I was shocked to see Franco actually be as good as people thought he was after watching Toronto put him on the ropes in week one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think in hindsight, we can now say for certain that Marky Delgado is pretty good at FIFA. Uh, he definitely made he made Franco look pedestrian. But this week was entirely different. He pulled out all the tricks. I mean, he was, as someone who plays FIFA fairly often and is used to playing against friends and other like live people and not the computer, um, I'm, 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 a, I'm a simple FIFA player. I'm all about quick passing, getting down the field, I don't really try a lot of the individual moves, but Franco was breaking out like some skill moves with the players, which was super impressive. I mean, there. I mean, I found myself a couple times being very excited at what I was seeing on the screen, just from some of the moves he was pulling, and even Paulo Neto did the same thing. But unfortunately, Drew, you're the only one who didn't get Atlanta going to the final. They advanced. I know, I'm the worst. <laughs> they advanced pretty easily. It was a 3-1 finish. Uh, Franco was really the difference. He won 2-0 in his game over Sean Johnson. So SKC and Atlanta ended up playing. The The first matchup between Juan Cousin and Franco Escobar was exciting. It was 2-1 at the half, Atlanta winning, but then Cousin scored another. So it was, it was a draw, 2-2, two two, going into the EMLS guys. But... Uh, yeah, they they pulled away. Atlanta just Paulo Neto put his 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 foot on Alexander's neck, and he won five to one. I mean, it just it wasn't even close. I think uh, Alexander he scored first, so it was one nothing, and then Paulo Neto came back and scored five unanswered goals. So Atlanta ended up winning with a football score seven to three. So it wasn't ever really close in hindsight but it was really cool to see like you were saying uh drew it was cool to see escobar kind of jump out and and really show people that the hype was worth it and then even paulo Neto, this little 17 year old kid i mean he was fantastic alexander looked great up until that point so even even he was making other people look bad too Playoff Franco is a real thing that has extended past the MLS playoffs and now went into EMLS. So anytime Franco Escobar is in a playoff atmosphere, he just tears it up. But so, yeah, I don't know who wins the bracket challenge because Josh got the champion right. Connor got both teams right. And I just I got half of it right. So I don't know who if this was like the ESPN bracket challenge, I don't know who would win the the million dollars i think it'd have to go back to earlier rounds that would end up being the tiebreaker because i know there are a lot of points awarded for getting those those championship teams right which would give connor the advantage but because i got the actual champion that would probably cancel that out so we'd have to go back and and dig up and see if 
because I know Connor went perfect one weekend, but I went perfect another weekend. So, you know what? I'll just call myself the winner by default because Connor. You I was gonna <laughs> say I was just gonna give it to you because you've done it for more weeks than I have. Yeah, you you didn't even. I don't think you were with us during that first week when we were talking. Well, about I was it, with so. you, just not on air. <laughs> so, so yeah, you know what? Default. I'll I'll just go ahead and declare myself the winner. Look, you Atlanta fiends need need all you there can you get. Have it. The only successful team you have is the Atlanta United. So, I'll give you this win. Yeah, that's true. We get we have to like you know. I, I just want to say I was uh, my parents sent me home with a with a baby book because I went over to watch the the EMLS and the Michael Jordan documentary with them. But um, my mom sent me home with my baby book from when I was born, and I was born four days after the Braves won the World Series. So like in all caps, she had written down like for current events when I was born, like Braves just won their first World Series. And I like looked at that with such sadness because like 22 years went by, 23 years went by before Atlanta even got another like, like huge championship of any kind of any sort. So you're right. You're absolutely right, Connor. We're going to we're going to enjoy this. Give us that star. Hey, man, don't sleep on the Falcons. I have all faith. Everyone's sleeping on the birds. But for good reason. In Matt Ryan, we trust. He's right, for good reason. <laughs> oh, man, you guys are <laughs> sleeping on him. Uh, but so, yeah, EMLS is done. It was a lot of fun, though. It was cool um, filling this little break we had. But as EMLS goes away, we have the potential of MLS coming back. Uh, a lot of leagues are proposing plans, and MLS is no different. Uh, they proposed a plan to get back at it. Um, the plan is all teams playing in Orlando at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. Uh, training would start June 1st, and kind of this weird tournament-style season would begin three to four weeks later. Um, no fans, which I think most people aren't expecting fans for a while. But guys, when you hear just the general quick glance look at the 2020 season plan, what are your thoughts? Because I think it's pretty... It's a lot to process because there's so much going on. Um, what do you guys think about MLS trying this method out for 2020? I think it's a good middle ground. Um, when you look at the what the NHL is planning in a 24-team potential two to four hub cities, I think for MLS to go to one location is smart. However, I think it is tough on the players and their families because they are probably going to be away from their kids from their wives, girlfriends, husbands, if anyone in the MLS is openly a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, but I think it's what's necessary, especially given the current climate in North America. You look at what the U.S. is going through right now, and Canada has said that they won't allow teams that come here, like, from other countries will have to self-quarantine for 14 days. So Orlando's a good option given the, the fact that Florida has severely restricted um, limitations on people. So I don't know. I'm open to it. If it works, it works. But the second one person gets it, everything is canceled. Sorry, that's your season. Gone. Goodbye. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I. that's the part that I think... Uh, really kind of freaks me out uh you know with bundesliga like they can still travel to 
their respective stadiums and they're not really being an issue. But, I mean, Connor brings up what is probably the most important point. As soon as one player gets it, like the chances of spreading, it's it's most likely going to spread to at least somebody else. And in, in Bundesliga, in Bundesliga 2 rather, in their second division, we already saw a team that has had to go into quarantine because I think three of their staff or players uh, uh, got the virus. So they are already having to deal with rescheduling two of their games because they're going into a mandatory 14-day quarantine, and you just can't do that in this case if you're going to centralize everybody. So that right off the bat is already just kind of a, a big red flag, and Connor's right. I mean, the players are going to have to agree to whether or not they want to be away from their family that long. And on top of it, a pay cut, most likely. So, you know, it's like the league is saying, hey, uh, for less money, come play soccer, and you don't get to see your family for two months at least. How about it? And that's basically what that is. So I think there's still a lot of issues with it, just kind of on its face. What do you think about it, uh, Drew? Yeah, I think both you guys, I think – we're on the same page that a really big problem is what if one player gets the virus because then that changes the whole thing. Um, so I think we're all on the same page as that. And you bring up a really good point, Josh, that you're kind of isolating these guys just from living lives with their families in a really scary time when family time is very much valued. You want to be with your family as much as you can during all this. So it kind of feels like you're taking these players out from their families, shoving them in Orlando and saying, play for less money, which like you mentioned, the pay cut, which we'll get into in a second, but play for less money and you won't get to see anyone. And like you guys mentioned with the Bundesliga, if you do contract the virus, you can kind of, there's that ability to leave and move away from the league. Whereas if you're all stuck in Orlando, it's kind of just this one big hub where if one player gets the virus, um, there's no telling how quickly it could spread when everyone's in the same city. So it's it's hard to justify taking money from these guys, kicking them to Orlando to play in. I mean, I haven't been to the ESPN Worldwide of Sports, but I imagine the complexes aren't as top-notch as most of these MLS teams. So they're playing in less, uh, less rate facilities for less money. Um, and it's just pretty freaky time because, like we said, if one player gets it, that changes everything. So it's an interesting situation the players are in. Um, I don't know how they're going to handle it. I know there has been some uh, bargaining back and forth between the league and the players' association. So we'll see where that takes them and how the players respond to that. Yeah, I just I also think we need to add that this is also a big risk for the players. Like I'm going to tie this back to hockey again, but a right winger for the Toronto Maple Leafs named Mitch Marner was doing a live stream and he spoke pretty candidly about his opinions on what the NHL should do. And he brought up a really good point in that, what about these guys who do have other underlying health issues? You know, there's a guy in the NHL named Max Domi, and he has diabetes. What happens if he gets it? What happens if there are players in MLS who have heart conditions or lung conditions or any sort of other unknown underlying health condition? It could kill them. And do you want to take that risk of, potentially having players die you know for example what was it like a year or two ago drew moore of toronto fc he missed a ton of time because of a heart murmur he had to go and he had to have surgery to repair it so that risk is always there and if you do full exams and you look for everything in these players 
sure, why not? But you also have to be willing to take that risk that there is a very real possibility that one of these people could die. You know, there's a Broadway star who lost a leg because of coronavirus. He was in critical condition in a coma because of it. And this is a healthy guy who performed on Broadway. Like, it's not some nobody who's completely unhealthy. And yes, these are the most healthy human beings on the planet, but that doesn't make them immune. And that's what we have to remember when we're talking about forcing these guys to go back to play. As you mentioned, for less money in tough conditions away from their families. Just to pivot away from the health side of things, which obviously that takes priority over everything else. And it sounds like MLS still has a few hurdles to get through in regards to that. But moving away from that, now we have to talk about uh, how to get the teams motivated for this and and how do you treat this in terms of its uh, validity as a season. you know, how will MLS reward Champions League spots or will they treat this as a full season and give the winner of whatever tournament they're doing the the star over the jersey, the star over the crest? Will they give them credit for MLS Cup? What will they even call this? I think there's still tons of questions around how they handled the tournament. I think... That, so, so here's what I think the league should do if they go this tournament route. I think that they're best off kind of treating this as a one-off season thing where the top whatever four teams... So this is all if they can't come back and do an actual full regular season, if they they only have to do this tournament. Um, So that being said, top four can get whatever the Champions League spots are and then the top Canadian team can get its Canadian spot based on this little tournament thing. And then I think beside that, like you just can't award a champion, an MLS cup. I just don't think it would be right. I mean, you can say so-and-so is champion and put an asterisk next to it. But even then, I think that's sort of putting it at a reach. I don't, I just don't see there being any tournament that the league can do that will suffice going forward and saying 2020 this person you know this team was the best team they they won the season no it's just if it's just going to be a tournament I don't, I don't think that's right i don't think that's fair to the league as a whole uh, and then on on top of that um i just don't think that the, the 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 league has to just try to recoup as much money as it can this is a financial thing at the end of the day and i think they can sort of achieve that with a tournament and I think if you get enough eyes on it, then you can you know, save as much money as possible, kind of stop the bleeding in terms of how much money all these leagues are losing. But again, I just don't think there's any sort of validity to tournament for a season. Um, what do you guys think about if there's a tournament, how do you determine the winner? you guys have any ideas about what the league should do? or What do you think about that situation? I think I'm 100% agreeing with that whoever wins the 2020 um, MLS Cup season, or if you call it MLS Cup, whatever you want to call it, whoever wins this 2020 season tournament is going to have that asterisk beside their name, right? And that's a pretty common thing um, in sports in general. I mean, you have the sign stealing scandals and bounty gate scandals. So we're not, in America, we're not strangers to championships being 
tainted for lack of a better word because obviously this is a much different situation than we've seen in the past but I think you're 100% right this 2020 season it's so hard to take an eventual champion seriously if this tournament does happen because it's I agree with you I don't think it's by any means the best way of crowning the best team in the league um, but American sports mean their fans are kind of used to postseasons being scrapped. I mean, in 1994, there was no baseball World Series because of a strike. So I think whoever wins the 2020 MLS season is not going to be on the same playing field as 2019 MLS Cup champion, 2007 MLS Cup champion. So the season is always going to be, if the season happens at all, the season's always going to be treated very differently because of what has happened. Um, even I think if we do play a normal season, it's still going to be treated differently because we've had so much time off. I kind of disagree with both of your opinions. I think this should be taken more seriously because I think it's more it'll be more difficult to win MLS Cup. You know, to give it what look at what all of these players have to go through, and then top off the fact that it's a tournament and it's pretty much I don't know how exactly they've set it up, but it could be one and done. And you have to go on a six-game win streak to win MLS Cup. And that really cuts out the best of the best and the most resilient players. I think you have to take it seriously. I, there will be an asterisk next to it. Sorry. There will be an asterisk next to the name of this team, whoever wins this tournament. But I think it should be taken just as seriously. It is inc- it'll be incredibly difficult to do this. And I don't think we can ignore the fact that Yes, it's less time played, but it's more difficult emotionally, mentally, and very possibly physically. Yeah, I mean, obviously with everything being compressed in a much shorter time frame, I do think that it makes the whole premise a lot more difficult. But think about how you get to an MLS Cup, right? You have, under the current playoff format, top 14 teams make it. How do you get to those top 14 teams in a tournament like this? Do you play everybody once? Do you break them off into groups? Do you determine it by conference and just, you know, I I think the logistics surrounding it to make it a legitimate tournament, to make it a legitimate champion out of it is just, I just don't think there's enough time. I think you bring up good points, Connor, in that, yeah, it'll be really difficult for players and coaches to overcome this and to, you know, top the league, top the tournament, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, I just don't think there's enough time. Yes, yes, MLS Cup is just six games. You're right. It's honestly a crapshoot because you can you can make it as the seventh seed, and you could win. You could very well win. Soccer is a, is a freak game when it's when it's collapsed down into a, a knockout tournament. You see it in the World Cup all the time. But think about again how those fourteen, those top seven teams in each conference get there. They get there by being good enough throughout the season. So I just don't think that you can properly call it an MLS Cup. I just don't think it should be treated the same as an MLS Cup. I think, yeah, it can be important and it can carry weight to it, especially given everything that's happened in the world and in this current time. But at the, I just don't think it should... I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's more important or more difficult okay. than, than a regular can MLS I- Cup. Can I pose this to you yes. then? In 2013, 2012-2013, the NHL had a lockout. 
a partial lockout. Season started back up in January. Do you consider that team who won the Stanley Cup that year to have an asterisk next to their name because they played less games? No, because they not only played a regular season, and I'm throwing up air quotes for those listening, not only did they play a regular season, but that regular season determined the playoffs, right? Well, MLS could very well do that as well. They could have a little mini regular season where they play each team in their conference, and then you make a standings based off of that, and then you have playoffs. I think that's a likely outcome, uh, and I think that would be a good happy medium, even if it might be difficult. I, th- I think if the league can find a way to do that, then they should. I think that, you know, I think we agree on that. If they can they can find a way to, to create the closest thing possible to, re- to an MLS Cup playoffs, then they should do that. But I got to ask you, in that NHL season, how did they handle the shortened schedule? Did they play everyone? And I can't remember, NHL's broken up in conferences, right? And then divisions. Yeah, yeah. so did yeah. they play everybody in their conference? Did they play every other team once? How did that work that year? Uh, I can't remember exactly how they worked out playing teams, but they played half the games. So a normal 82-game season, they played like 41. So I think... You know, at least you and I can agree. In in the best case scenario, the the teams at least play each other's in conference opponents once in this little tournament. So that's twelve games right there. I think that would be a solid baseline to choose who can go on, and then you sort of treat it like an MLB situation where there's no interleague play. You only play who's in your conference. You you go through your conference in the playoffs, and then you get to face off. I think potentially that could be something legitimate. I still don't think it should be, well, maybe it can be considered an MLS Cup. I think, again, if they can at least get in those 12 games in conference, then there's a chance that this could be considered legitimate. I do feel disappointed that, you know, it's it's really dawning on me as we're having this conversation that a Supporters' Shield winner is not going to be crowned. And I think there's a really good argument. We can save this for another pod, but... I think the Supporters' Shield holds holds more weight to it, even though no one really cares about a Supporters' Shield at the end of the day because that's not what puts the star over the crest. I still think it holds more weight. It shows you who was better over the course of the season, like who was actually the, the best in the league, especially if you're able to play every other team. And it's dawning on me that that's just, that's just not going to be a possibility. So with this tournament, I think MLS should do their best to get to a as respectable as possible MLS Cup playoffs. But again... I think that's at least got to be in conference, so that's 12 games right there. And then there's another at least three or four games, five counting MLS Cup. So, I, I mean, I guess you're looking at half a season, 34 games in the season. You're pushing it down to 17. It's just a little weird, obviously, given the situation. But so I, I guess, you know, bringing up good points, Connor, I, I have to agree with you on some of those. I think you could, win a shortened season, have a legitimate MLS Cup to an extent, uh, Drew, what do you think about that? Do you think there needs to be more games than those 12 in conference? Maybe a couple inter intra-conference games, whatever it's called. What do you think? Uh, I think, like, yeah, I think, like you said, we're all on the same page. If MLS can do um, whatever they can to make it as normal, which, air quotes, there's no way this is going to be normal. If well, whatever they can do um, that's safe, that would make this trophy more legitimate but I think it's 
whoever wins this championship is going to have an asterisk by their name. Like I think, like Connor said with NHL lockout, I think that champion does have an asterisk beside their name. I don't know who won the Stanley Cup that year, but I don't think asterisks necessarily make championships illegitimate. I think it's just it can, but it can also just signify that the championship was different. Right, that there's an asterisk beside that Stanley Cup champion, and I don't know, fans probably take that Stanley Cup as serious as any. I am a Vancouver Canucks fan, so I'm still waiting for the day when they win a Stanley Cup. But, but that asterisk still signifies that that championship was different. It was done in a different way. They played half their season, and I think that's going to be the case with this year. Whoever wins 2020 MLS Cup, MLS tournament, whatever, is going to have that asterisk beside their name. And that might not necessarily mean that this trophy is illegitimate. Fans and players might take this as seriously as anything, but it will signify that this is 100% a different season than anything we've seen in the league. Um, But as for the interleague thing, I don't think interleague play is very necessary um, because when it comes down to it, you're trying your best to get the best teams out of your conference to the playoffs. And to me, the best way of determining who the best team in your conference is is by playing each other. Because um, you could have a situation where, let's say, if they break it up into East and West, I don't know how they plan on breaking it up, but if they break it up into East and West, you could have NYCFC playing LAFC, right? And then they draw or NYCFC loses, whereas you could have Orlando City, and no disrespect to the Whitecaps, but Orlando City playing the Vancouver Whitecaps, they get those points over NYCFC. And I just don't think that's the best way of determining who's the best team because we know LAFC is leaps and bounds ahead of the Vancouver Whitecaps. So in order to get the best teams you can in such a limited time, I think interleague play is just unnecessary time spent when you could and should be playing games between teams in your conference. Okay, and I'm going to propose this issue because I only just thought of it now. How are they going to deal with field conditions? Because obviously playing 12 games for each MLS team on one field isn't realistic. BMO Field and their turf is an example of that when you look at last season when they were in, or I guess two seasons ago, when they were in Champions League and regular season. Turf was pretty terrible. And I feel like playing a lot more games like that is going to be difficult, especially considering the only places you could play are the baseball quadruplex, the stadium, and I guess Marathon Sports Field, which that's three different fields. So I don't know if that's enough venues for you to do every single one of those games. Maybe it is, and maybe they bring in the best turf people on the planet, or they were... Wild theory, they could replace the turf every week or every two weeks, which (laughs) is going to be very expensive and probably not realistic, but it is a possibility. I don't know, but I think that's going to be an issue that we, I think a lot of people aren't really thinking about. Yeah, I I think you can go ahead and scratch off the replacing the turf every week. I, I can, I can hear, I hear a groundskeeper off in the distance. He's just screaming bloody murder. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I think you bring up a good point. No one's really considered it, and I, I would go ahead and chalk that up just to, you know, no one's... This this plan isn't really that accelerated. At the end of the day, it's not accelerated. Every league is, you know, they're doing this BS right now where they, they, they leak out, hey, we've got this plan possibly, and then a bunch of people pick it up and they talk about it, 
and then the next thing comes along. We've we've seen this. We've been seeing this with MLB a lot because they haven't even gotten to start their season. But I digress. So because of that, because this plan isn't really that accelerated uh, to start with, obviously, I don't even think that question has been raised publicly because there's so many other hurdles to get through. I think that's a good point to continue to talk about that point, though. I think maybe the league, if it comes to that, they should consider IMG Academy, which is over in Dunedin, or uh, Bradenton, Florida, which is, if I remember from looking at a map in the last few days, it's only about an hour, hour and a half away, maybe two. So theoretically, you could put one conference in one location and then another conference in another location, have them play their conference games, and then put them together. I mean, you could even theoretically hold that one MLS Cup at Orlando City Stadium, or maybe you could do all of MLS Cup playoffs at Orlando City Stadium, where it's it's a lot fewer games. But that is a good point, uh, Connor, about how they would manage those field conditions. So, I mean, there's just there's so many hurdles, so many logistics to, to get through yeah, all you, that. You also need broadcast facilities. Uh, you need enough power outlets to power the cameras, uh, which is an issue. Uh, you need place to put the truck. You need a ton of wire. You got to give the camera crews enough time to set up. There are so many underlying issues with this. I would hate to be anybody associated with trying to make these plans. Uh, you mentioned the two cities. The NHL has thrown out that theory uh, with potentially having four hub cities or two hub cities. Uh, I know Toronto's in the mix for one of them. But again, they'd have to quarantine, so that's a bit of an issue. But Toronto is a good option because we have so many hockey arenas. We have like four, maybe five arenas that can broadcast and host NHL teams. We need to find, or I guess you MLS need to find, a place where they can host all of these MLS teams and pl- then play games. It's going to be take a lot of work. Drew... What is your solution to all of this? And do you think that the Orlando plan is the most realistic one for MLS? Or do you think it's going to be something that comes out of the blue where we think, huh, that we probably should have seen this coming? I think, I think it's going to be a situation where something comes out of the blue and people are going to be, like you said, people are just going to be like, oh, we should have seen this coming. Um, you do mention a really good point with the fields and our site expert Andrew wrote a really good article about how fans might view this plan because we know that a lot of people don't really take MLS seriously when compared to European leagues. Uh, European leagues are coming back with the Bundesliga and EPL coming in June. So there's concern that he points out that maybe fans are going to be seeing soccer with players that aren't 100% fit on, like you guys say, on fields that are pretty bad. Um, and whether that stays in Orlando or goes to IMG or goes to Orlando City, um, which playoff soccer in Orlando City Stadium is just something I can't imagine right now, but that's a different thing. Um, but that's just an interesting thing that maybe them playing this just such a weird tournament where the quality I think is going to be compromised. Maybe that's not a good idea at all. 
because European leagues are coming back and people are already, I think, way too skeptical of MLS quality. So when you have these guys playing on pretty bad fields and pretty crazy conditions, you're going to have bad soccer at times. I think a lot more than we would see in the season. So that raises a lot of good questions about the field quality, um, how that affects players and how that affects the style of play. I mean, every time a team goes to NYCFC and plays in Yankee Stadium, there's the question about how Yankee Stadium affects the play. So I can already see it now, how playing on these fields time in and time out again, how that affects the play. Um, So I think something's going to come out of the blue that MLS just didn't think of because there's so many moving parts to this that it's going to be an interesting plan if this is what happens. Like we said, there's a lot of talk between the Players Association and just owners in the league. So it's going to be very fun to see what happens. It's a really developing story. So tomorrow something new could come out. So it's it's fun to follow. Um, again, every league, like Josh said, every league's pulling something out. And whether or not it happens is a totally different situation. Yeah, I think we also need to quickly address just before we end, because we haven't gone for a while. Uh, we mentioned we talk about the NHL, or not NHL, sorry, the financial situation of what could potentially happen and what the league has proposed and what the players countered with. Uh, so I guess let's start with the league. Uh, they proposed a 20% player salary reduction for the rest of the season. Do you think that's realistic or do you think that there's going to be a lot more negotiation that's needed in order to actually finalize some sort of agreement between MLS and MLSPA? Or do you think this might get done really quickly? I don't think it'll necessarily get done quickly. Again, because there's no concrete plan in place for the season, I don't think there's much they can do at the current moment. Um, That being said, uh, today, as of recording this podcast, uh, it was reported by ESPN that the MLS Players Association sent a counterproposal to that 20% cut. And instead, the players are asking that for economic relief or providing economic relief of over $100 million, um, which in the ESPN article, I believe it stated that that's about a third of the league's payroll for 2020, which I thought was interesting. It it almost sounds like the league is trying to get 20% of what they can end up paying the players over time, whereas the players just want to set a hard number now and say, hey, we just want it to be a third of the salary this year, leave it at that, regardless of what happens. So I think it was interesting that the players provided this counterproposal of of an almost entirely different thing. That being said, it does seem like both the players and the league are having decent conversations right now about this, which is important because the CBA still has not been ratified, and theoretically the league could just lock out their players and say, you're not playing until you agree to what we tell you to agree to. I don't think it will happen. I I really, really hope it doesn't happen. That could potentially destroy the league, if we're being honest. And I don't think they will do it. But with the CBA not being ratified yet, I think that's another factor into it. So people should really pay attention to these negotiations between the players and the owners because if things go bad, it could have a, a severe lasting effect on the league. Yeah, I agree with you, Josh. Going back to Connor's question, this is going to take um, a lot of negotiation. And like we talked about, this Players Association counterproposal, I think, is a sign that both sides are talking 
um, and having a good conversation about it. So I think it is going to take some negotiation. Connor, do you think this will be pretty quick, or do you think this is going to last for a little bit longer? I think both sides really want to come to an agreement. I think the players are going to get pretty desperate pretty soon to get back to playing. I know it's happened in hockey. Uh, again, I'm bringing it back to hockey, but I think MLS players will start to reach that point soon. Uh, I think it'll be a pretty good, I guess, agreement for both of sides. Uh, you notice that with the MLS CBA, there's not as much bad blood as there is in other leagues uh, between the owners and between the players. So I see it getting done quicker than some people think it will get done. Maybe even next week if they can finalize a place to actually play. Um, but again, who knows? It could go sour real quick and we could be looking at a lockout. I just, I find that hard to believe when it's more beneficial for both sides to actually play the, play the rest of the season or play a portion of the season financially and just based on morale like imagine how much big of a boost this will be to the morale of fans and to the players because they actually get to play again yeah it is for sure interesting as leagues try and work out ways to come back there's a possibility that mls comes back for other leagues so fans really don't have a choice but to watch MLS, whether they like it or not. So it's it's developing. It's moving pretty fast. Um, updates are constantly happening, but we're trying to stay on top of it um, as much as we can. But like Connor said, we've been going at it for a while. We're approaching the hour mark. So thank you guys so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, again, please go visit MLSmultiplex.com. Uh, even though the break's going on, um, our writers and contributors are still cranking out really good stuff about proposed plans, what that can mean for the league, and et cetera. So I encourage you to go to MLSmultiplex.com to check out some great stuff. Um, be sure to follow us on social media for even more great stuff on our Twitters. You can find Connor at CWG Somerville, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, myself, Drew at underscore Drew Hubbard, and MLS Multiplex at, at MLS Multiplex. So again, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, updates are constantly happening. We're trying to stay on top of it. But thanks again, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. You can check out all the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.